I moved to California because I'm so liberal. I was a liberal lefty. I voted for same-sex marriage. This is my child. These are children. I have a duty. I, I am compelled to keep talking to protect these kids. Hi, I'm Bob McCoskery. Welcome to Family Matters. My guest today is California mum and a lawyer, Erin Friday, who is a leader of the parent advocacy group, Our Duty. And Our Duty is an international support network for parents who wish to protect their children from gender ideology. And Erin's involvement has come from personal involvement, family involvement in this issue, her own daughter. But I want you to hear the experience directly from Erin Erin, welcome to Family Matters. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me. So you are based in California. Let's just clear that up. So that's uh, immediately a state of challenge, <laughs> similar to New Zealand. But how did this all start? Uh, well, it really started with comprehensive sex in seventh grade when my daughter was introduced to the gender-bred man. Okay, so and now just to clarify, seventh grade, just for New Zealanders, I think that's uh, about 13 years, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 11 or 12 years old? Yeah, she was 11 at the time. Okay, 11, yep. Yes, so they do a five-hour course on sex ed, mm. and one whole hour is dedicated to uh, gender ideology where they have the cute little gender-bred uh, cartoon, and they mm. have an arrow pointing to the head saying, you know, you could have a male brain and a female body, and that's the first step towards teaching a child that they can be, you know, potentially born in the wrong body, which is a nonsense concept. Okay, and yeah. what was the result of those lessons? I mean, uh, most kids sort of laugh through them and uh, sort of think there's nothing to them. What was your daughter's response? Well, for young girls, they actually start listening to it because this is the time of their lives where they're starting puberty mm -hmm. and where they're learning friendship groups and they want to be kind. Um, they want to be inclusive. They're taught this, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so all of her friends, five of them, came over to my house on that Friday after the lesson and all said that they were something on the LGBTQ alphabet every single one of them. And that was the first entry point for me to say, what the heck are they learning at school? My daughter picked pansexual, which again is the kindness one, the kindness mm. label, because you're open to sexual relations with everyone. Mm. And it's also nonsensical because she's 11 and uh, she should not be thinking about, um, you know, sex mm. at, at 11. Uh, but each one of these girls picked something um, you know, lesbian, pansexual, polyamorous. Um, and that was the entrance point for me to say something's going on mm. at school. So they start off on thinking about their sexuality and then, of course, they move into their gender identity? Well, I think they all want to be cool, too. I mean, it's fun mm. to pick a new label. It's like picking, you know, your ice cream flavor like which one are you going to pick? Oh, mm. because they give them a, a you know, basically a pull down menu of uh, what they could be. So it's pretty boring to be, you know, they call them normies, mm. um, you know, normal people. It's boring. And especially if you uh, connect it with a critical race theory, you have a bunch of white kids who don't have an ability to become a victim. Well, now they can get a victim status by 
jumping into the LGBTQ because then they can say, look, I'm, I'm really not an oppressor. I'm being oppressed. Mm-hmm. And this I am saying all this from a very liberal. I mean, I was, you know, a diehard liberal for 37 years. <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. it's a it's a weird place to kind of understand that all of this is tied together to, um, you know, saying that white people are um, oppressors and they, these kids take that on and they don't want to have the guilt. And so they glom onto something else that can catapult them into victimhood. Okay, so your daughter starts identifying as pansexual. Uh, how did it then morph into gender identity issues? Well, pansexual is a gender identity mm. issue. I mean, because they give it as an identity. Now, why your sexual preference should be an identity is nonsensical. Um, but what happened was the pandemic happened and we were in lockdown and she spent an enormous amount of time on the internet. Um, really unbeknownst to me, going to websites that I thought I had blocked. They're way smarter than we are. Um, it's many parental you know, blockages you can put on. They, can, they always work around them. Um, but she uh, started to get into a uh, chat group with kids who were identifying as trans. And so she moved from pansexual to lesbian. Um, this is the normal trajectory, pansexual, non-binary, lesbian, and then they land on trans. And that's the one that then sticks because uh, they get cheerleaded on. Mm. You know, you're brave, you're amazing, um, you're untouchable by teachers, you can turn your papers in late, teachers won't care because, you know, you're special. Um, and so she and a lot of her friend group, I think um, half of her Girl Scout troop came out as transgender. You know, so it's social contagion. And so how did that play out at home? Uh, how were you dealing with all of this? Well, she moved She moved slowly. She wanted to get her hair cut. Now, most parents are like, big deal. Get your hair cut. You want, you've had long hair your whole life. You want to have short hair. Not a big deal. Moved into wearing giant sweatshirts. Um, again, sort of not alarm. No alarm bells are going off because... When I was going through puberty, you mm. want to hide your body. You're not really comfortable being sexual. You don't really want older men's gazes, and and you feel those. Mm. Uh, so you start wearing baggier clothes. I mean, some young girls actually show their bodies off and some cover up. Mm. So, again, I thought, you know, pretty typical uh, kid stuff. And then I noticed that she was wearing a binder, which is a mm. chest compression, mm. um, and it was also a... Um, you know, a medical issue. Uh, she's asthmatic. And so she had trouble breathing. And it was because she was constricting her ability to breathe. Uh, so that started to rear its head. And um, and I'm not sure the timing on when she started wearing those more often. Um, but then she started public high school and the public high school changed her name to a male name and a male pronoun without contacting me at her, you know, at her request. Mm. Uh, but she, you know, she's right down the hall from me doing schoolwork. So I know that they're using a male name and that's when the transgenderism kind of hit me right in the face with my, my daughter's in trouble now. And were there counselors or doctors or psychologists involved in all of this? Well, eventually, yes, because the first thing a parent does is get an expert and um, I learned very quickly that all the experts here in California, all they do is affirm. And they told me 
to accept my child as my son now. Um, they told me to wipe away all my memories of my daughter being very girly and that she was just setting this up, you know, for when she was going to make her announcement. It was so nonsensical. I got the 41% of all of these kids are going to commit suicide. Um, the counselor, you know, I'm an attorney, so I read these studies and I asked her, you know, very specific questions about the study that she was talking about and she couldn't answer one question, not one um, and so it was clear to me that she's just pulling headlines. She didn't know what she was talking about, but um, trying to scare me into uh, accepting my daughter as a son. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I fired her. We went through a lot of psychologists and therapists um, because the ones who want to look critically at my child wouldn't touch her. Um, they, you know, they're afraid of their license being taken. And so they're like, mm -hmm. we're not going to. We can't help you. And so the other ones were a firm, a firm, a firm. So eventually um, we went out of state and found somebody in another state who would uh, at least speak to my daughter and keep me as, you know, in, involved, which but, is another problem. Because in they California, you have a ban on conversion therapy, don't you? So in other words, if counsellors don't affirm, then they possibly will be criminalised. Is that correct? They... they they could be, but I think um, I think counselors aren't reading the law correctly. They can still counsel these kids yeah. and get to and, and get to the causality mm. without uh, being in violation. So I really hate to say that they that they would be uh, penalized for doing their job because that is their job mm. is to is to figure out what is going on with that child. And so you were told the, the usual trope that's given to parents, better an alive son than a dead daughter. You were given that line? Um, I was given that line actually by a parent of a trans-identified child. I was only given the suicide threat by the counsellors. No one, none of the counsellors said that, although a priest did, <laughs> which is mm. really disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah, I'd like to come back to that of just, you know, in terms of leadership and how leadership should respond in the community. But, I mean, this is a lot to go through for a mum. How are you coping with all of this? Your daughter uh, suddenly <laughs> wants to be your son. You've got all these issues. How did you cope? Uh, well, let's just say it was the most difficult year and a half of my life. Um, there were many days that I couldn't physically get out of bed. Mm. Um, because you have the whole world. I mean, think about this. The whole world is cheering on mm. the destruction of your child. Mm. And you're watching your child disappear in front of your eyes because really what happens to these kids when they take a trans identity on is, you know, they're told by the Internet, first of all, that their parents are bigot and, and hate them. That's a really tough thing for a child to digest. Um you have teachers and everyone is working against you mm. to harm your child because this is all about harm because if your child continues down their road your child loses body parts your your child loses their ability to have children your child becomes a lifelong medical patient so as a parent it was you know super super difficult i um i stopped doing everything that i loved mm. um you know, I stopped running, working out, playing tennis, throwing parties. My whole life was dedicated to saving my child at the expense of um, 
my marriage, even though my marriage is still intact, but you lose your relationship with your spouse because you are focused on your child. Mm-hmm. Um, my son got short shrift because my daughter took up all the air in the house mm-hmm. um, and she was our main focus and she had to be. Uh, but it's grueling. Um, it, it's really, really quite grueling. And I think that's why I don't fault parents so much for taking the easier way out um, because it's really difficult. But man, you got to do it. Mm. I mean, if you love your child, you will sacrifice. Okay. And, and I mean, you know, spoiler alert for our viewers, but there is a silver lining to all this. But before we get to that point, uh, I, I read some background and I note that in your story, you were quite uh, assertive on the whole use of social media, the use of her phone, because you saw that as an entry point to um, exacerbating this problem. Can you just elaborate on that? Yeah, so my tactic in dealing with my daughter was not probably a a soft hand. It was a heavy hand, and I think it needs to be, Um, especially when they're young, you have control. So my daughter was 13 when she really took the trans identity Mm. on, and I took her phone. Um, I shut down the Internet because there was no way I was going to beat the hundreds of thousands of people saying, Keep going. Do this. You are trans. There's no way I I could beat that. And um, it was really, really difficult. My daughter, you know, every day, every hour, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Um, You know, threatening to run away, emancipate, uh, go to an LGBTQ housing, call CPS on me, everything. Um, But it was like taking really, truly taking the drugs out of the drug addict's hands. And you can't really pull your kid out of this mm. until you pull that cheer cheering section away from them. And that's the internet. It's got to go. And what about peer group and school? Well, this was, you know, the pandemic. And so there was no really going to school. Um, although I did, I did switch schools. I, I switched from a public school to a Catholic school. Um, and I did, you know, these kids who were influencing her, they were no longer allowed at my home. Right. Um, she was not allowed to see them. And so I created a forced, even a more isolated existence for her, which is really difficult. It was dif- difficult for her and difficult for me. But again, you needed to create that gap between the influencers and, um, you know, her. And when you look at the research, uh, it talks a lot about the fact that, in fact, it's the comorbid disorders that are never dealt with. There are other presenting problems which, if they were dealt with, the gender dysphoria would disappear. Was that the case for your daughter? Yes. 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 And it's the case. I work with thousands of parents. It's the case with all the parents who have gotten their children out of this is once you address the comorbid mental health issue, be it depression, anxiety, eating disorder, OCD, um, autism. Mm. Once you address that, then the gender identity goes away. Okay, but for a lot of kids, uh, it will actually just be the um, uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria, they call it, ROGD, the the peer pressure, isn't it? And, And to some extent, that was the case with your daughter. It was kind of the power of suggestion by the groups coming into the school and then, hey, the peer group wants to do something neat. 
Yes. And, and the other thing is they're sold a book of goods. They're sold that all of your pain, all of your distress, all of your sorrow will disappear if you just transition. You don't like getting your period. Well, become a boy then. Like it's easier. It's not. It's much harder harder than that. But we have raised our kids, at least here in the United States, we have raised our kids too softly um, where we don't let, we don't want our child to feel any bit of sorrow or distress. But that's a mistake. We need to teach them to be resilient in that. That sometimes... Yes, it is uncomfortable because your body's doing something that you don't want it to do. But deal with it. I mean, that's a life lesson that we all have to deal with. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, as I mentioned earlier, spoiler alert, uh, your daughter, fortunately, thankfully, eventually rele- uh, reverted to her biological self. What, what, did, uh, what made her do that? What, what was the turning point? <laughs> You know what? I couldn't tell you if it was one thing. I know what I did. I did a ton of things to let her understand how amazing it is to be a woman, how amazing your body is. Everybody's body is an is it's amazing machine. Um, mm. Like I said, I, I took the phone. I took her on on hikes. I made her learn again how great reality is this is another thing we're forgetting to teach our kids get off get off the computers get off the phones and go go to the ocean go see what nature is Mm. go see what your body can do do those hard hikes um i also made it very clear to her i was really in her face about my advocacy and i left posters all over the house with signs um no one's born in the wrong body um you know, I, I, she had to see it daily. Mm. Um, so she knew, I knew, I knew that she loved me. Mm. I knew that she respected me, even though she said her hateful, horrible things. Mm. And I knew eventually she would start looking at this stuff. If my mom is fighting so hard against this, there must be some truth in what she's saying. The research says that um, most kids revert back to their natal sex as they go through puberty because puberty reinforces their biological sex. Do you think that played a role for your daughter as well? I I think maturing for sure played a role. Uh, Getting used to the fact that once a month you have, you know, an inconvenience. Um, I think that definitely helps. But um, yeah, I mean, if kids can, puberty stinks. I mean, people forget this. Mm. Puberty is a horrible, you know, it's a horrible time in life for both girls and boys. Um, It's no coincidence that girls take on their gender identity on average at the age of 13 and 14. Mm. Right when puberty is hitting, right when they're gaining weight and getting acne and, and, you know, getting a new shape and being looked at differently and feeling differently and being moody. Boys. They come on to their gender identity at age 16. You know, you don't need to be a scientist to understand this. Hmm. 16 is when they start getting their facial hair. Their voice gets deeper. Their, you know, Adam's apple grows. All of this makes sense. These are trying times. And if they can just, you know, get used to it, spend a little time in that new body, that hairy body, Hmm. they'll be okay. Yeah. And actually, there's a study that's uh, just a longitudinal study that's happening in New Zealand um, with over 5,000 children and uh, the 12-year-olds, the females, the girls are much more likely to be uh, 
perhaps questioning their identity than the boys are. What, uh, just quickly, what happened with her friends? Do you know what happened in their journey? Not really. I know, well, I know one is um, pretty do, doing like heavy drug use. I know that. Um, the the other one I followed for a while on, on TikTok and her social media and uh, you know she was sexually abused this mm. child was sexually abused this is why she took on her gender identity um, I suspect that she's not doing very well because her parents um, when I talked to them about this you know were were nonplussed about the whole deal and they were also not um, not freaked out by the amount of pornography that uh, their daughter was looking at mm. um, and also like sharing with my daughter so we didn't talk about the effect of pornography on these kids, but mm. it is a huge um, indicator and gateway for these kids to get gender confused. Um, pornography is a, you know, we will find this later, mark my words, 20 years from now, that there's a, you know, a direct correlation with porn and, and kids taking a trans identity. Anime is another one that is a, a gateway all these gender bending themes really c c confuse children. Now, just for those uh, who are watching and think anime, what's anime? Can you give them a quick description? So anime is the Japanese cartoons um, and where they look like they're a nothing and they start out as a nothing, no big deal. But the young girls in the anime cartoons are very big breasted, um, tiny little waists, you know, mm. big behinds. And little girls look at this and they don't want to be, and they're ditzy. Um, now, young girls don't want to be that. They want to, so then they have a male character. They have two male characters. One is usually the, like the man. And one is a man body, but behaves sort of like the smart wife. And so the girls want to be that smart wife guy. And so they actually think that they're gay boys, hmm. which is, I mean, think about that. My daughter actually thought she was a gay boy, hmm. you know, it, but because she didn't want to be the ditzy girl. Hmm. And then anime gets into gender bending themes where um, girls are boys, vice versa, you'll have a pregnant boy. And then it gets really dark and it goes into hentai, which is um, pornography with incest cartoons. And, it, you know, it, the, there's algorithms. Hmm. There's algorithms that get kids from something that is seems OK and seems PG or even G. And it moves them right along to X, hmm. double X and really sick themes and little kids brains and i'm calling them all little kids you know 16 year old brains can't mm. fathom this stuff and it really confuses them um erin if you were being interviewed right now if i was someone from the mainstream media i'd suggest that probably the interviewer would be accusing you of being a transphobic bigot who shouldn't be a parent should be locked up and um, you're a menace to society What's your response? Well, <laughs> I moved to California because I'm so liberal. Uh, you know, I, I, I was a liberal lefty. 
I voted for same-sex marriage. I've uh, been a Democrat, never voted for a Republican, except in 2022. Uh, yeah, you know, look, they're going to call me names no matter what. I don't really care um, because they can't make cogent arguments. So call me a bigot, call me a, call me whatever. It, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, this is my child. These are children. These are children. We have to remind us, children who are getting their breasts cut off, mm. children who are getting their ovaries removed, Little boys who are getting their penises turned inside out. Mm. These are irreversible damages mm. to these kids. They cannot consent. I'm fascinated to know, Erin, what does your daughter say about it now? Uh, that's a really interesting mm. question. So um, my daughter has thanked me for pulling her out of this. That's about as far as she'll go right now. She's still a teenager. Mm. We still live in California. And um, she knows what I do. I mean, she sees my videos. Uh, she doesn't uh, appreciate me talking about her. But I told her, I'm a mother. I'm a mother to all. I've got to protect kids. I have a duty. Mm. That's why I love the name of our duty. I have a duty. I, I am compelled to keep talking to protect these kids. Mm. And I don't mean just kids under 18. I mean, look, I deal with detransitioners a lot. Um, people who did this as adults, they did it because, again, they were mentally unwell. They were autistic. They were sold a lie. So we can't end this with kids. We have to keep going because I do get the phone calls. I got one two nights ago from a detransitioner, suicidal. Mm. Why? Because his body, you know, has irreversible damage. Mm. His penis never grew. He doesn't think he'll ever be a father. He has constant pain. You know, people did this to him. Erin, mm. we're just about out of time, but um, some quick fire questions. And um, I'd really like your advice for viewers in a couple of categories. Firstly, what's your advice to parents who are facing this exact situation right now? I would buy the book Detox, Desist. It's by Maria Keffler. And I use that as my method for doing what I call drive-by conversations with my child. Mm -hmm. um, you can't have the direct conversations. You can't give the science. It doesn't work that way. You've got to come in sideways um, watch television shows with your child that um, are, you know, about cults, mm. things like that. Yeah, I think and, I, I think I think I read you would do long trips with your family, and you'd accident accidentally put on a podcast. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of that. I'd leave things like Menno videos. Mm. Um, Menno is a is a great character, and he does. Um, little clips about you know that he's a man who likes to be a fairy. Yeah. Um, these things resonate with kids. Um, I bought a bunch of child uh, children's books that I put in the back seat of the car. Mm. Um, you know, kids will just pick them up. Um, but and, but yeah. whatever you do, a, a parent should not avoid the conversation. Right. Yeah. And, and just think they're going to outgrow it. Don't do that. It's a huge mistake. You actually have to have a strategy and follow through and never mm. ignore your gut. Ever. 
the parents' gut is always right. Yeah, and I think um, also you talked about uh, you'd put on testimonies of of young people who had uh, come through it. For example, Chloe Cole, who's a you know a local for you. Um, so that's powerful. What about for teachers and heads of schools? I mean, they're being pressured to use preferred pronouns. They're being pressured to go behind parents' backs. Um, don't I mean? Don't do it. Just you know, I know it sounds kind of direct, but uh, I don't know what your laws are, but um, I value First Amendment more than anything uh, for a democracy, and no one's going to force me to say words that I don't want to say. So teachers owe it to the child if they think about this. If you think that calling a child by a different name, it, that's child abuse. Pushing a gender identity is child abuse. And so if you frame it in that manner, like, would you abuse a child? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know what your economy is like, but lose your job over this. This is that important. File the lawsuit then. There's no excuse for not helping children. And the more kids that are being called different names at school, the social contagion grows. So this is not, um, you're not being kind you're actually being very unkind to the child because you're leading them down a path to destroying their bodies. Mm. Who's going to hold the line? Everyone needs to hold the line on reality. They cannot cancel us all. They cannot fire us all. And if we're not going to do it, then who? Mm. And who? before we uh, started recording, we just had a quick chat about that you'd felt that uh, your church had let you down, uh, that, that church leaders are focusing more on the kindness aspect, which is important, but the kindness aspect at expense of the truth aspect. Um, do you want to comment on that? Sure. Um, it's highly disappointing to me that my Catholic church abandoned me in my time of need. Um, and so I no longer consider myself a Catholic. I'm done. Um, not that I don't believe in God, uh, but the priest at my daughter's high school told me the suicide trope. Um, the bishop in my local uh, diocese um, ignored my plea for help. I hand-delivered a letter to him mm. saying what was happening at our local Catholic school and that they refused to call my daughter by her female name. Uh, the Catholics, all religions... All religions need to stand up to this. Again, if not them, who? Mm. Because this is hurting children. Mm. Children are worth, here in the United States, $1.5 million to the medical complex when they transition, both going in and going out. They become lifelong medical patients. This is the kind thing. I mean, let's think about this really basic. The kind thing is to say, Child, you are perfect mm. just the way you are. Mm. From your hands to your toes to your head, everything about you is perfect. That is love. That is kindness. That is inclusion. That is acceptance. Mm. Telling a child that there is something wrong with them is hateful. Yeah. Flip it. Erin, what uh, you mentioned... One book. What books or resources really helped you? What, 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 would, what would be your top two or three 
books. You, uh, what was that first one you said? Detox, something? Desist, and... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by Maria Keffler was my mm -hmm. favorite book to read for words yep. to get my child out. Um, if you want to know how we got here and the money behind it, I would read Trans by Helen Joyce. That's out of the UK. There is a new book, and I, it, 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 you can pre-order it. Um, and my friend is the one who um, started this group. It's called Pit, so Parents of Inconvenient Truths About Trans. It's available on Amazon starting actually today, and it's the stories of the parents. Mm. It's each story is maybe two pages long about the pain. Um, and how parents are coping with this. Um, it, I know it's going to be a bestseller, um, but people need to read this book. Yeah. It's a really, really important book to understand. If you think, like if your listeners don't have a you know, trans-identified child and they think that they're being good and kind and, and sweet and just being accepting, they need to read this book and understand what this does to the family. Yeah. It blows it up. Erin, are you one of the exceptions? Um, and, and what I mean by that is your child came through it safely, but that's not the case for many children, many families don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, are you the exception or are you finding it that actually there's starting to be a tipping point and Ashley, parents are waking up because we're getting these good resources and these books and, and groups like yours. I don't believe I'm the exception. The mainstream media does not run a report on us. Hmm. We did a um, we did a, a somewhat of a survey of parents who wrote to the American Academy of Pediatrics and asked them to change the affirmative care model. Of the uh, 67 who wrote in letters and talked about their child, more than half of them have kids that desisted. Mm. As long as the parent held the line and did not socially transition the child or medicalize the child, the child came back to being comfortable in their body. Mm. And, and this is just a snapshot. Really, the studies show that 88% of these kids will be comfortable in their uh, natural bodies if parents hold the line. Mm. So that's the, that's the really deciding factor. Um, I don't think I'm an outlier at all. I'm an outlier in that I speak publicly about it. Um, but there are hundreds of parents who have pulled their kids out of this. Mm. And actually, that, that was actually my final question, is that what, what uh, got you off the bench onto the playing field? Why did you become an activist? Because I would imagine that it was easier just to enjoy the victory and carry on with life and pick up the pieces, you know, why are you so passionate about this that you're willing to pay the cost of speaking out? Because actually I think you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you had done this anonymously for a bit, but then you realised, no, need to be up front. Well, uh, there's two, two reasons. One is um, you have no morals if you don't protect children. And I want to have morals, so I will protect strangers people strangers children this doesn't leave our family this goes on it goes on to college i hope to be a grandparent 
I don't want this gender ideology to affect my kids' kids. Um, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. Uh, no, so there there was no stopping, and I went public when um, I needed to. They there needed to be a parent who was the the face of this, um, and so I took it on. And you know, uh, the the most that has happened to me, knock on wood, is you know I get called nasty names, um, big deal. Um, and and even if something happened to me, it's worth it. Um, and and the the second is. I'm a woman. I am a woman. I don't want my name to disappear. I don't want to be a belief. I fought long and hard to be an attorney and to do the things I want to do. I gave birth. No one gets to take my name from me. No. Just finally, our duty, just tell us quickly uh, what, what that is designed to do and how parents in New Zealand could benefit from it. Yeah, so our duty is an international group. I did not start it. It was started uh, by, in the UK, mm. and it has grown. Uh, each country who has an our duty branch um, does things their own way, which is really quite amazing, um, you know, because you have to follow your laws. Mm. But if New Zealand wants to open up a branch, they're more than welcome. There's uh, one in Australia. Um we do different things. So here in the United States, we don't actually offer uh, parent support, meaning we don't have like support groups where people, you know, talk about what's happening at their families. We're an advocacy group in the United States because we already have a parental uh, support group here. Um, but it's really, in, it's really empowering for parents to do something instead of complain and cry and put their head in their hands. Mm. Uh, and our duty is a great place for people to get ideas. There's a lot of things you can do anonymously that will change um, the trajectory of the trans ideology. There's mm. a lot of things you can do. Erin, mm. um, I, I guess on one hand, I'm sorry that you've had to go through this situation, but on the other hand, I'm a little bit thankful because you're a <laughs> Uh, a mum, a mama bear, you're an attorney, a lawyer, uh, and you've got some fight in you and you're passionate about the cause and and often it takes that personal experience to uh, really give people the, the, the bravery to or, and the passion to get up and, and fight in this such an important area. So Erin, you know, on behalf of New Zealanders, thank you for your stand, thank you for uh, sharing your story and We'll certainly encourage um, New Zealanders to check out your website and um, and to to upskill themselves to understand this ideology and to push back for the sake of our kids. Yes, there's no white knight coming in to save us. It's us. Mm. It's the parents. So everyone needs to take up the pen. Erin, <laughs> all the best. Thanks for your time. Thank you.